It's a privilege to open God's word with you tonight. Please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4. I will be continuing our study through the Gospel of John, and this afternoon we will cover verses 43 through 54. There are two main parts to the message. First, in verses 43 through 45, we're going to look at a startling statement that John makes, right in, that he inserts right into the narrative. Second, we're going to be looking at the second sign where Jesus heals the official son. But to get the context of our passage, I would like to read a few verses to set the stage for where we are in the narrative. So let's look in chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. When Jesus knew that the Pharisees heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria. And we know about all the ministry that took place in Samaria and how the Samaritans welcomed Jesus with open arms. And let's turn now to kind of the conclusion of his ministry and pick up in verse 39. Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me everything I ever did. Therefore, when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. After two days, he left there for Galilee. Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When they entered Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him because they had seen everything he did in Jerusalem during the festival, for they had also gone to the festival. So as we start by looking in the first part in verses 43 through 45, we see the progression. Jesus has come from Judea, traveled through Samaria, and now he's entering Galilee. It's interesting that in verse 44, John inserts a statement where he's not quoting Jesus, at least as it takes place in time. He tells us something that Jesus has said at some time, and he inserts it here. And so if you look at the other Gospels, you will see that they make similar statements, and they put the, that statement in a different context than what John is doing here. But John places it as Jesus and his disciples are traveling from Samaria to Galilee. Now, there's something about this statement um, that I think we need to start by clearing up, and that is that it, when a prophet has no honor in his own country, that's what I read to you, that's the Holman Christian Standard Bible. The ESV translates that word, a prophet doesn't have honor in his hometown. All right? And the reality is the Greek term can refer either to one's homeland or to one's hometown. So it could be either or. Um, the New King James, the New American Standard, the Holman Christian Standard, they all translate it to one's own country. But the question remains, what, what is it referring to? Is it referring to Bethlehem, where Jesus was born? Does it refer to Jerusalem? that is the center of Jewish um, religious activities where the temple is and all the religious leaders? Does it refer to Nazareth, where the Gospel of John and the other Gospels will refer to Jesus as being of Nazareth? 
Does it refer to Judea, the southern part? Does it refer to Galilee, where Jesus has just gone? Does it refer to heaven, where Jesus came from before he came to earth? Does it refer to all of Israel? So there's a lot of questions surrounding this statement, but I think the best translation does read that a prophet does not have an honor in his own country. And I think that fits best in the context here. However, if you look a little more closely, the immediate context of the verse seems to be saying that the statement is not true. Jesus has just come to Galilee where he was welcomed. Jesus has just left Judea where the reason he left is that the Pharisees were starting to realize that he was bringing in more disciples and baptizing more people than John the Baptist. So Jesus left Judea because he wanted things to quiet down a little bit. He didn't want too much recognition at that time. So in some ways, in the immediate context where John puts it here, you almost have to wonder, well, what does he mean? Isn't Jesus welcomed? Aren't the crowds coming to Jesus? So that's why I say that in this context, it seems that John is inserting this startling statement that maybe it doesn't seem to fit. But I think that what John is doing is here is it, it fits in the overall message of his gospel, if we look a little bit broader. In fact, Pastor Daniel mentioned this this morning, but if you go back to chapter 1, verse 11, when Jesus came into the world, his own people, the Jews, did not receive him. That's what John's gospel says. In chapter 2, when Jesus was at celebrating the Passover in Jerusalem, he performed many signs, and if you look at verse 23, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many trusted in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all, and because he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So the, these people in Jerusalem, in some way their faith is deficient. They, they see the signs, and they believe Jesus is a miracle worker, but they're not understanding who Jesus is and embracing him in the reality of who he is. What about chapter 3? Chapter 3, a prominent religious leader, Nicodemus, comes to Jesus. And while he does honor Jesus, he recognizes that Jesus is a teacher sent by God because no one could do these miracles unless God was with him. So he honors Jesus, sort of, but he still totally misses who Jesus is. And as their conversation goes on and Jesus begins to challenge Nicodemus and tell him that you must be born again if you're going to see the kingdom of God, ultimately Nicodemus is going to reject that message. He will not accept Jesus' words. In contrast, when we come to chapter 4, Jesus goes to Samaria. He must go through Samaria, right? And in Samaria, in contrast to how the Jews received Jesus, it seems like he is widely received. I just read the, the text there in verses 39 through 42. Jesus didn't have to perform any signs in Samaria. The people came out to see Jesus based on the testimony of this woman who said, he knows everything about me. 
Could this be the Messiah? So they come out and they check it out. And at the end of the day, they believe Jesus because of his own teaching. And they understand that he is the savior of the world. What a statement. And the Jewish and the, the Samaritan woman, from her standpoint, she's an immoral, outcast woman in every way from Jesus' perspective. And yet, as Jesus has this conversation with her, look at how she grows in her understanding of Jesus. She starts off by calling him a Jew. Then she calls him sir. Then she finally says, I, I understand that you must be a prophet. And then she understands, could this be the Messiah? He tells me everything that I've ever done. Well, as we will continue on in our text today in chapter 4, by the time we get to verse 48, we see Jesus criticizing the faith of those in Galilee. Because unless they see signs and wonders, they won't believe. And a couple chapters later, by the time we get to chapter 6, verse 66, we learn that many have abandoned Jesus. His teachings got hard, and they will no longer follow him. Their faith was deficient. They, they were embracing a miracle worker who was entertaining and could maybe do something for them, but they were not ready to submit themselves to Jesus. Or as Pastor Daniel said this morning, they didn't have a faith where their heart was surrendered to him. So, we come to John's gospel and we see that the Jews really did, by and large, reject him. They did not honor him, although some would. But then as we look a little further, we see that, wow, this was the plan of God all along. In John 1.29, John the Baptist saw Jesus come and he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, how could we take that any other way to call Jesus the Lamb of God taking away the sin of the world other than that Jesus must be the sacrifice for sins? The ultimate sacrifice for sins. Or when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. The Son of Man must be lifted up on a cross so that he can be the sacrifice for the sins of the world, so that anyone who believes in him will have eternal life. We see this all throughout the Gospel of John. Jesus understood that that was the plan. He came into his own. His own did not receive him. They were going to reject him, and that was going to take him to the cross that would ultimately provide the sacrifice that we need to pay for our sins. So Jesus, as he leaves Samaria, where the ministry was great, where the people were embracing him in every way, he leaves there and he continues on to Galilee to continue God's plan for his life. Let's look now at the second sign that Jesus performs here in Galilee. Verse 46. Then he went again to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, he went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son, for he was about to die. Here we get the setting for what is about to happen. Jesus, once again, 
travels to Cana of Galilee, where he had previously turned the water into wine, the first sign. And now, as Jesus enters Galilee, this royal official who is in Capernaum, 25 miles away, the way the road would take you, up the mountains, has come to Cana to plead with Jesus for the life of his son. He's desperate. He has no hope. The doctors can't do anything. No one can do anything. If anyone can do anything, it's Jesus. He understands that. And he's made his way to Cana, and he's pleading with Jesus to come and heal his son. We don't know how he had heard of Jesus. Maybe he was at that wedding feast in Cana earlier. Maybe he heard about that feast where Jesus turned the water into wine. Maybe he was in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration and he saw the signs there. Or maybe he simply heard it. But for whatever reason, he knows and understands that his only hope is for Jesus to come heal his son. Now it's interesting that when we look at Jesus' response, it's amazing how many times you'll see this in the Gospels. We, we have this mindset on who Jesus is, right? He's, he's loving, he's caring, he's kind. He's always looking out for those who are least fortunate, right? And that's all true. And yet Jesus so often will say things and do things that are very different than what we expect him to say or do. And so it's always interesting to read and see exactly what the text says. I mean, what would we be expecting at this point with this man pleading for his son's life? You would probably think, well, sure, Jesus is going to go to Capernaum with him and heal his son. That's what Jesus does, right? Well, look what the text says. Verse 48. Jesus told him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Jesus takes the opportunity to criticize the faith of these Galileans. That unless they see signs, they won't believe. Not a real direct answer to this official who's been pleading with Jesus. It's interesting that Jesus addresses this man. He told him, but when he speaks the words, he's really talking to all of them. And so the Holman here has added and provided the word people, you people, see signs and wonders, which also the New American Standard does, the New King James does. It's, it's not in the Greek text, but it's the understanding of what Jesus said. It's a you plural. Some people say it's, you're supposed to say y'all, but I don't say that real well. So I'll, I'll stick with you people. So he's saying this to all of them, even as he addresses this royal official. He's speaking to all of them, you people. It comes across almost as harsh, but we know that's not the end of the story, right? Jesus has a reason for everything he does. And Jesus is kind and loving and compassionate. And Jesus cares for those who are most desperate. So let's continue on. Sir, the official said to him, come down before my boy dies. You can sense the urgency with this man. He doesn't really care about what Jesus has just said. His only concern is about his son. He's not worried about who Jesus is or what Jesus is saying. He wants his son to be healed. In fact, he's, he's giving a command to Jesus. This is an imperative. Come down before my boy dies. 
He's a royal official who's used to giving commands. He's a man of authority. But look at Jesus' response in verse 50. Go, Jesus told him. Jesus responded with another command. Go. Your son will live. Jesus didn't give him a sign. He's going to have to take it at face value. He's going to have to believe his word. But Jesus commands him, go and your son will live. Jesus is life. And he is the provider of life, the sustainer of life, the creator of life. And we're going to see that throughout the Gospel of John. But here it's very evident with this boy who is dying that Jesus would say, your boy will live. Look how the man responds. The man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. He believed him. No signs. This, this, is, this is a push away from the rest of these Galileans now because they demand a sign and now this man is taking Jesus at his word and he's ready to go and believe that his son will live. He goes, he departs 25 miles back toward Capernaum. Verse 51, while he was still going down, his slaves met him saying that his boy was alive. He asked them at what time he got better. Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him, they answered. The father realized this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, your son will live. There we have that repeated over and over and over. First, Jesus says, your son will live. Then he, the man hears the message from his slaves that his son is alive. And then the realization that his son was given health at the very hour that Jesus told him that. His son was alive. You see, as he asks that question, when did this take place? He's not really concerned anymore now about his son. <clears throat> his son is alive. He's learning information about Jesus now. We're starting to see a little bit of a shift in his focus. He's learning about this one who told him to go because your son will live. Look how he responds at the end of verse 53. Then he himself believed along with his whole household. You see, now it's not about his son anymore. Now it's about Jesus. He already believed Jesus' word. He was responding in faith to Jesus' word. He believed his word. But this is a different kind of faith here. Now he's believing in Jesus, and this is a saving faith that is committing his life to Jesus. He is surrendered to Jesus. He's all in. He understands who Jesus is. He understands the greatness of Jesus. Jesus is this Messiah, the Savior of the world. He's the one who gives life. And so he and his whole house they believe. Verse 54, this therefore was the second sign Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. John, he creates this scenario where the second sign is so like the first sign. The first sign, Jesus went from Judea to Galilee to Cana, and there he turned water into wine, one inanimate object into another inanimate object. 
Here for the second sign, once again, Jesus has gone from Judea to Galilee to Cana. Only now he is taking a boy who is at the point of death and he is now alive, fully healthy. The second sign. Do you notice the response to these signs? With the first sign, back in chapter 2, when the disciples saw the sign, they saw Jesus' glory and they believed in him. What happened here with the second sign? Now he understands. This royal official and his whole household, they believe in Jesus. See, the signs are intended to point us not just to the fact that this guy did a miracle, he did something awesome, but they're intended to point us to the fact that the greatness, the, the incredible glory of this Jesus, who is the one doing it, he is equal with the Father. So what can we learn from this passage tonight as we have briefly gone through these verses? First, I think the Gospel of John is clear that salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. But second, the Gospel of John is also clear that there is a faith that saves and a faith that is deficient and does not save. Jesus is not a genie in a bottle who exists to grant us our every wish. He's the Messiah the Son of God, who came to rescue us from our sins. He's the Savior of the world, not just a miracle worker. The miracles help demonstrate who he is, but we need to get past the miracles and see the greatness and glory of the Jesus, who is the Son of God. So by application, are you prepared to follow Jesus this week? Not only if everything goes great, but if everything falls apart, Jesus is sovereign over all things, not just the good things, not just the pleasant things. He's sovereign over all things. And we must trust him that he has a perfect plan for our lives with the goal of making us more like him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that tells us so clearly about the greatness of your son Jesus, our Messiah, our Savior, our King, the one who gave his life for us to rescue us, the one who had committed no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Father, we thank you for the work of Jesus Christ. We worship him and his greatness. Lord, help us to believe. Help us to believe in the hard times, not to turn away like many did. Help us to continue on like Jesus' disciples, understanding that he alone has the words of life. Where else could we turn? Father, would you help us this week? We don't know what's gonna happen. We might face difficulty, we might face trial, but I pray that you would increase our faith that you would hold us fast and keep us pursuing after Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.